This is week two of our series, How It Started, How It's Going. We're exploring the book of Acts. And today, we are going to look at kind of how it all began. The moment in the story where it all kicked off, the moment of Pentecost, where it's kind of the spark that lit the flame of the church. Now, uh, Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, I'm going to acknowledge something right off the bat, and that is that this whole idea, this whole passage, the ideas associated with it, they, they come with a bit of baggage in the church. Uh, there's a little bit of baggage. Um, <clears throat> for one thing, entire theologies or, or whole denominations have been based on how people interpret these ideas. Baptism in the Spirit and speaking in tongues and spiritual power, all this stuff. It, it, it's very complicated and everybody has very divergent views on this. And to be honest, there have been some misunderstandings. There's been some sensationalism. There, there's, there's even been some abuse because of, of these, the way these people, uh, people have interpreted these ideas. To be clear, the credibility gap, we talk about the credibility gap, which keeps people from even wanting to talk about Jesus in the first place. It's wider in some senses because of how some Christians have used or misused these verses and these ideas. So, there's baggage. That's all I'm trying to say. Now, when there's complicating factors like this, one of our temptations is going to be to say, you know what, let's just not even talk about it. Let's ignore it. Let's not go there because it's too complicated. But that's not an option. Not for this story. No, it's not an option because this moment in Acts, this moment at Pentecost, it is the key to helping us understand this whole movement that we are a part of today. And so if we want to uh, understand this church, then we've got to also understand how it began. How did this movement start? So I want to encourage us, let's approach this all with humility. And, and uh, if we do, I think we're going to experience some great encouragement, some great hope, and maybe even some joy because of what this passage has to say. So let's dive in. Let's read what happened at Pentecost and look at what happened when the God's Holy Spirit took up residence in his people. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and it's going to be on page 905 in the house Bibles in the seat in front of you in this room, or of course you can use your own Bible. We are reading from the New Living Translation here at Grace. Now real quick, when you read this passage— I'm sure if you're not familiar with this, it's going to be all kinds of weird to you. There's some weird stuff that happens here, but I promise if you understand this passage in light of the whole story of the Bible and the whole story of Scripture, it will make sense to you. And that's what I'm going to show you today. At Grace, we care a lot about what we call uh, biblical theology, where you look at the entire story of Scripture and it really does make things uh, come alive. So I'll show you what I mean. <clears throat> Okay, so Jesus has uh, left his followers and he told them, I'm, you know, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. But then they're just waiting around, waiting for this to happen. And then this, this is what it says. Verse 1 of chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. 
Okay, so right there, that's the moment that things changed for the people of God. You see, in in the story of Scripture, all the way through the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, you see moment after moment where God's Holy Spirit does enter into people, uh, maybe for a specific purpose or a specific time, but it's always temporary. It's always a a sort of a one-time thing and then it's over. But here, things have changed because here, for the first time, God's Holy Spirit takes up residence within the followers of Jesus, but he doesn't leave. Like, this is a permanent thing, and that's a pretty significant turning point. From this point on in the story, and especially in the book of Acts, the presence of God's Spirit is an indicator of whether or not someone's even following Jesus at all. If someone's really a follower of Jesus, the Spirit is inside of them and empowering them. And that's the other thing that you see through the story, is that that ordinary followers of Jesus, when they have the Holy Spirit within them, they are empowered to do extraordinary things in Jesus' name. Uh, They're empowered to prophesy. They're empowered to to heal other people. They have spiritual, supernatural discernment. It's crazy. And all this stuff started at Pentecost. But here's something I want us to ask. What's with all the wind and the fire and the noise? Like, what's that all about? Why why did it have to be such a a big ordeal? And what's this all about? Well, I'm going to explain. Now, this is going to seem probably to some of you like some kind of a weird rabbit hole that we're going down, but I promise when you see how this is all connected, it's, it, well, I can't promise it'll blow your mind. It blows my mind, and hopefully it'll blow yours too. So let me, let me explain uh, what's up with all the wind and the fire. We have to go back to understand this. We have to go back to the, the book of Exodus. This is in the Old Testament, second book of our Bible. We got to go all the way back to the story of how the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt. You remember God, God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Now, when he did that, he took them through the wilderness to a place called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was a, a mountain in the wilderness where God gave the people of, of Israel the law, the law of Moses, also called the Torah, the Torah. Now, I talk about Torah a lot. In, in the story of Exodus, it's captured on these two stone tablets, big stone tablets. And, and Torah, I just want to make this clear, as I always say, it's not just a, a set of rules. Don't, when you think of the law, don't think of like a legal code. That's not what Torah is. No, God gives the, the people of Israel uh, a way of life. That's what the Torah is. It's a way of living that, that allows the people of God to experience his blessing. His blessing. Blessing, another way of talking about that is, is a return to an Eden kind of life. Blessing is, is God's presence with the people, his abundance, his peace. It's all there when, when the people of God experience Torah. In other words, Torah is God's intentions for the world, the way that he wants things to be lived out, being realized. That's what Torah is. And, and that's kind of the whole point. God's uh, intentions for the people of Israel, all the way back at the beginning when when he calls Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you and your descendants, and you are going to bless the nations. It's all about bringing blessing to humanity, and it starts with the people of God. That's what Torah is. That's why God gave them the Torah on Mount Sinai. Now, obviously, I know we talk about this a lot, the Israelites didn't do 
an awesome job of, of living out Torah, and I, by that I'm being very generous. They kind of screwed it up royally. Uh, they really did a, did a really poor job of living out Torah, but they always dreamt of a time when, when they would finally get it right, when, when it would finally stick. And in fact, uh, one of the prophets, Jeremiah, he, he dreamt this. He, he's quoting God here. He says, I will put my Torah deep within them, deep within my people, and I will write it, Torah, on their hearts. I will write it on their hearts, right? Now, this is Jeremiah's dream. One day, God's intentions for the world will be realized, but it's, it's, it's going to actually spring up from within his people. It's coming from their hearts. It's deep inside. Torah is in here. So, Okay, what does this have to do with Pentecost? Some of you are wondering. Well, let me explain. When God gave the Torah to the people on Mount Sinai, listen to how it happened. Thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. The Lord had descended in the form of fire. Hmm. Roaring winds, descending fire. That, that, kind of rings a bell, doesn't it? It's supposed to. It's supposed to sound familiar. Uh, Because Pentecost, this moment with the Holy Spirit, it was meant for us to understand it as a second Mount Sinai moment. This is the moment where God's presence is descending to bring about his intentions for the world, his, his Torah, his instructions. But this time, Torah, God's Torah, is not written on tablets made out of stone. It's written on our hearts. That's just what Jeremiah was dreaming about. And that's what happened at Pentecost. And get this, if you, if you don't quite see the connection yet, you're not sure you buy it, listen to this. Jesus was crucified during the Jewish festival of Passover. Passover was a festival that, that commemorated God rescuing the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, right? God passed over, saved the Israelites, and so every year they celebrated Passover to remember that. And Jesus died on Passover. And I gotta tell you, that wasn't an accident. It wasn't an accident because Jesus, his death and his resurrection, it was like a second Passover. He was rescuing, God was rescuing humanity from slavery, not to Egypt, but slavery to sin, slavery to death itself. So Jesus' death and resurrection, that's a second Passover. Well, Pentecost was a Greek, a Greek word for the Hebrew festival of Shavuot, okay? 50 days after Passover, they celebrated Shavuot. And guess what Pentecost commemorated as a festival? It commemorated the giving of the law of the Torah on Mount Sinai. Isn't that crazy? So all of a sudden, you've got Pentecost version 2 on the cross, or sorry, Passover version 2 on the cross, and now you've got Mount Sinai version 2 at Pentecost. You can see how, how, how God is now rescuing humanity through a second exodus, a second exodus, where the world was being saved from slavery to sin and from death, and God was planting his spirit, his Torah in our hearts so that his intentions for the world could be lived out, so that we could experience blessing again, so that the gates of Eden would be flung wide open, so that humanity could return, so that Both Israel would experience blessing, yes, but also the nations, every people group in the world. We could all come back to God. And it started right here at Pentecost. Now, I think that's mind-blowing, okay? Maybe you are like, eh, I don't get what he's so excited about. I promise you, this thing is so cool. Uh, Just trust me. But, But okay, let's talk about this. Because so far, all the people here are Jewish, 
that all receive this. So how are the nations going to be blessed by all of this? How are the, the other nations of the world supposed to hear this, this message? Well, let's keep reading and we'll see what happens next. In verse 5, uh, it says this, At that time, at Pentecost, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Now, I, I always chuckle a little bit when I read this because Luke, who's the author of Acts, uh, he is really going overboard to make sure we understand all the different people who were there, right? Phrygia and Pamphylia and Rome, both Jews and— right, he goes on and on and on. It's this long, long list. And I always try to picture someone just like saying this, declaring this on a street corner. Everyone's like, what's he doing? Why is he still talking? Like, anyway, this is, this is, this is what Luke's trying to get across. What he wants us to understand— is that these people, all the people who were gathered in Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost festivals, the reason that they were there is that they represent the, what's called the diaspora. Okay, the diaspora. This is a, a word that describes the Jewish people being scattered all around the world. Now, this happened. They were scattered because of the exile. The exile was what happened when the Israelites so screwed it up, so missed out on Torah that they experienced not blessing, but curses, the curse of consequence. They were so far off the mark from living out God's intentions for the world that he allowed them to experience the consequence of that. The Assyrian empire came in and carried people away. The uh, Babylonian empire came in and carried people away. And, and as a result, the people of Israel scattered. Some went to Egypt, some went to, to you know, Turkey. They were all over the place trying to flee this exile and, and this oppression. And so now, 500 years later, these Jewish uh, ancestors had set up communities in each of the different places that Luke mentions here. They'd become thriving, thriving communities that all were Jewish, but they all lived at all the different corners of the Roman Empire. Okay, this is the diaspora. But this is not the way it was meant to be according to the, the people of God. The, the prophets of Israel always held on to hope that, that in the end, during what they called the day of the Lord or the, the, the time of the Lord's favor, that someday in this, this time, uh, God would bring his scattered people home. Like in, in Isaiah, Isaiah dreamt this, in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations, there's the nations, will rally to him. He will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Well, here on Pentecost, that promised reconciliation had begun. How? It, well, it began by God's Holy Spirit within these disciples, empowering them to speak in all these different languages. They could now speak Torah, truth, and everybody from all around the world was able to understand it and hear it for the first time. 
Think about it. Think about this. You've got people from all over the known world at the time, right? People, from, people of Israel from all over the world, and they're all gathered in Jerusalem, and they're all hearing the truth from their, in their own language. Well, undoubtedly, these are the exact same people who, who took that truth, took the, the good news of Jesus right back to their hometowns all over the Roman Empire. This is the reason that Christianity spread so quickly all over the known world at the time. This was happening. The second exodus had begun and God's spirit was within his people. And thanks to Jesus, all of humanity now was welcome to join in this return to Eden, this return to blessing. It began here. Now, not everybody is super impressed by this. A couple of people, well, we'll see. A couple of people here uh, roll their eyes and maybe misinterpret a little bit of what's happening. Look at verse 13. The, the verse 12, you've got people saying, they're amazed, they're perplexed. What could this mean? And then verse 13, but others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. They're just drunk. And then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. And hold on, Peter is like an uneducated backwoods fisherman, okay? So he's not like a speech giver. He's not a talented orator, but yet he gets in front of this huge crowd and he says this. He shouts to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is, is much too early for that. No, no. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Then he quotes Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, so here— Peter uh, is, is explaining what's going on at Pentecost. He's explaining what people are seeing here. And he's using a, an Old Testament prophet to do it. He's quoting the prophet Joel. Now, Joel um, <clears throat> has this passage here. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. What Peter's quoting from is actually in Joel chapter 2. And I encourage you, go check it out. Go read it sometime this week because it's really interesting. But in Joel 2, um, this, where this is from, you realize that, that this prophecy, this little bit that Peter's quoting, it's part of a much bigger dream, a much bigger prophecy. And undoubtedly, the, the people hearing this, these are people who are very familiar with the scriptures. They would have known the context of what Peter was quoting. They would have understood the bigger picture. And, and so it's a much bigger prophecy in Joel to all about God's intentions finally coming to fruition in the world. In Joel 2, the Israelites, for example, are rescued from darkness, just like they were from Egypt. Uh, evil is abolished. God dwells with his people again. It even talks about the dry land becoming fruitful again and, and fruit trees like laden with fruit. It's, it's Eden imagery. It's a return to Eden for humanity. That's what Joel 2 is all about. It's a return to blessing. And according to Peter, he's quoting this on purpose because he's trying to tell people this is now being fulfilled. It's happening in front of your eyes. 
The day of the Lord is here, in other words. And by the way, that's exactly what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 4 when he kicked off his ministry. Remember, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. That's not a coincidence. These are meant to be uh, held side by side. But Jesus kicked his off with this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The time of the Lord's favor has come. The day of the Lord is here. The gates to Eden are wide open again. Oppression is finished. Captivity is over. Healing is possible. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. And and according to Peter, it's now that the Spirit of the Lord is upon all of us. All of us. This good news is now all of ours to share. Because the time of the Lord's favor is here. Oh, and all this stuff about uh, blood and fire and smoke. I know that's a little weird. You, you see that, you're like, ah, oh, this is all really nice and pleasant until I read that. It's a little bit jarring. I, I, I get it. We don't usually think of salvation in those terms, but let me explain. Throughout Scripture, what you see, you, you see this as kind of common imagery for God ridding the world of evil and abuse and corruption and exploitation. It, it's always in terms of these like, these kind of scary cosmic battle terms. Just think about the play in Egypt, right? When God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, what happened? The sun went dark, uh, the river Nile turned to blood, right? So these are, these are common ideas and images of God bringing the world to where it's supposed to be. I know that when we read about the moon turning blood red, that's not exactly like encouraging. That doesn't seem like good news to us, but in the prophetic biblical imagination, it's an indication that the time of the Lord's favor, that the day of the Lord has finally arrived. That God is setting the world free from the curse of sin once and for all. And God's bringing this all to fruition. How? Through his followers who are now empowered with his Holy Spirit. That's what Peter is trying to get across here in Acts 2. He's doing, Pentecost uh, is connecting all the way to the original story of the Israelites and Peter's doing the same thing. He is connecting what people are seeing with the whole story of the people of God. He's tying these threads together. And you know what? Let me do the same. Let me tie these threads together. And this is what I think, if I had to sum up what happened at Pentecost, it's this. God's restoring presence is now within us. God's restoring presence. That's another way that I've come up with to kind of think about what the Holy Spirit is within us. God's restoring presence. Uh, It means his Torah, his his instructions, his, his intentions for the world, it's now embodied within his people. God's power to restore, his power to bring life, his power to set people free, it's now here within us. It is shared with us. This is the day of the Lord. And the church, the body of Christ, that's us. We are now healing this broken world in his name with the Spirit driving us forward. God's restoring presence is now within us. It goes where we go. It began on Pentecost, and it continues today. Now, one final note about Acts 2 before we move on. Peter's powerful speech cuts to the heart of of, of 3,000 people. 3,000 people give give their lives to Jesus in that day. They all choose to follow him. And again, can I just remind us that Peter 
was, a, was an uneducated, blustering fisherman, right? And now he's got this viral TED Talk. All of a sudden, all these people are like, oh my goodness, he's incredible, right? How, how could he do that? He could only do that through the Holy Spirit in him, giving him words. This is what the Spirit's power can do for ordinary people. So these 3,000 new followers of Jesus, they, they repent of their sins, they're baptized, and they too receive the Holy Spirit. And then they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia, to, to fellowship, like we talked about last week. They devote themselves to those things. And then the rest of Acts tells us what happens next. They go out. They go out into the world with God's Torah, his instructions guiding them, written on their hearts, right? They, they heal the sick. They free prisoners. They release the oppressed. Sometimes people who are oppressed by spiritual, dark spiritual forces, they are now set free. Just like in Egypt, the chains of bondage are, are being broken. Because of the Spirit, these ordinary, uh, ordinary, uneducated followers of Jesus, they're speaking truth with supernatural insight. People of all ages are, are filled with dreams and, and visions of a world restored. In the name of Jesus, these people began a movement of restoration that would change humanity forever, forever. God's restoring presence was now within them. And here's what I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss this. God's restoring presence, his Holy Spirit, his Torah is still within us, still here. The movement that began on Pentecost, it is still continuing today. We are still a part of it. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, then God's Holy Spirit is within you as well. So let's talk about what that means. What do we do with that? Because again, I know that all this talk about the Holy Spirit, it, it, it can be confusing. It's complicated. Like I said, some in the church have taken it to extremes. I've come across some people who they, they've got it all figured out. They've got this whole systematized list and they can tell you, oh, this is how to do X, Y, Z. It's this whole thing. Other people, they don't even want to talk about it. When I was in, in my undergrad at Bible school, I had a systematic theology textbook that had everything you could ever think about with all the different theologies and then a little bitty chapter about the Holy Spirit at the very end. They're like, eh, I guess we might as well throw that in there, right? So you've got these extremes. And of course, as I said, there are people who have taken this too far. They've, they've uh, used it as, a, as an instrument of abuse or, or neglect or, or control. So there are, there's baggage with this. However, however, it's important that we pay attention to this because it is a part of the movement that you and I are in. All right? Now, look, going way deep into how this all works and how spiritual gifts are expressed in us and, and all of that, I, we don't have time. Not today. We don't have time. But we do have time to talk about one thing. One thing I want you to understand, and it's this. The Spirit is real. The Spirit is real. The Spirit is powerful. And through the Spirit within us, you, you, and I, we can restore and heal this broken world even as we are restored and healed in the process. It's real. It's real. And it's present. I said last week that we're at a bit of a turning point as a church. And I believe that. I really do. I think we are at a turning point as a church, a, a kind of a new beginning for us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to move here in our congregation in some fresh ways. I think it's going to happen. And I just want us to be prepared for that. 
I want us to be ready for what the Spirit might be up to. And here's what I mean. Let me give you some examples. Um, Just like the promises of Joel 2, I think, I believe, that God is going to fill our young people with visions uh, of a world restored, new ways to, to heal the world around us. We had better be prepared to pay attention to what they had to say. If it's the Spirit speaking through them, then we had better listen. Let's listen to our young people. At the same time, guess what? Just like Joel too, he, God is going to fill our elders, the older uh, members of our church, with dreams and discernment about how to proceed in this very morally ambiguous time. We would do well to respect and listen to what God is saying through our elders. Young people, listen to me. If you consider yourself to be a young person, I know that's a wide spectrum. Listen to me. We are going to respect what God is saying through our elders here at Grace Church. We are. We are. We've got to be prepared. We've got to be ready for God to speak. Men and women alike are going to prophesy here at Grace. They're going to speak truth, God's truth, into our community. Men and women alike are going to bring God's healing touch, emotional healing, physical healing, interpersonal healing. This is going to happen as God empowers our people. So let's be a community that that encourages and supports the expression of these gifts. Let's be prepared for that. And for that matter, let's be prepared for you, you, looking at the camera, you, to start to experience the expression of these gifts in your life. You may be thinking, not me. I'm just a rural, uneducated fisherman or whatever. But let me tell you what, God's Spirit is going to work in you. If you follow Jesus, the Spirit is here and God's Spirit, He gives out gifts that have nothing to do with our own innate abilities. I'll tell you what, let's be prepared for you to awaken to God's movement of of restoration in your life. Let's be prepared for that. I believe the kingdom of God is waiting with bated breath for you to spread your wings and start living into the reason why you are here, your spirit-empowered reason for being here. It's gonna happen, so let's be prepared. I think if this starts to happen and we start awakening into this, we are gonna experience a level of awe that we haven't experienced in a long time. I really do. This week, I encourage you to Spend some time in prayer. Ask the Spirit, what, what do you want to do through me? What should I be living into? What should I be awakening into? Ask the Spirit that. Be prepared. Now, with all that said, I'm excited. I can't wait to see what God's going to do through you, through me, what, what, what's going to happen here. But we've got to be prepared for one more thing. <clears throat> if God's restoring presence is alive and well here at Grace Church, and I pray that it will be, and I pray that it is, if God's restoring presence is here, then we've got to be prepared for God to start sending us people who are in need of restoration. Here's what I mean. People who are broken by this world, God's going to start sending them our way. Victims of abuse and trauma, victims of addiction, they're going to be here. God is going to start sending us those who are oppressed, oppressed right now by dark spiritual forces. You know what that means, folks? It means this is not going to be a neat and tidy place to worship. All right, this isn't going to be a convenient place to be. This community is going to face unexpected and probably uncomfortable things as we face down evil and oppression with the authority that comes from Christ. It's going to be a little bit messy. Now that, you're, you're applauding. Some of you are like, I don't want that. I'm not ready for that. But look, look. 
If we are called to restore this broken world with Jesus' authority, with the Holy Spirit within us, then let's be prepared to love and welcome those who need that restoration. Let's be prepared for that. Because it's going to happen. And one final thing. Maybe you hear me say all that and you, you think, uh, I'm the one who needs that. I'm the one who needs restoration. I'm the one who needs healing. If that's you, I want you to understand, look, God's restoring presence is here in this church, here in the church, here in the people who are sitting right beside you, here with the people who are watching with you online. God's restoring presence is here. So would you, if you are a person who needs restoration, would you trust us with your brokenness? Would you trust us, entrust us with, with, with the, um, the chance to pray over you and to let the Holy Spirit speak through us into your life? God's Holy Spirit is within us and he has the power to bring healing into your life. But you've got to trust us. I don't know whether that looks like a prayer at the cross after service or, or sending an email to someone on staff or maybe it looks like before you even leave this room, just talking to the person you're sitting next to and saying, hey, would you pray for me? But would you trust this community to be a vehicle for God's restoration in your life? Because he wants to heal. He does. You don't have to go through this alone. You don't. We are with you. So folks, bottom line. Bottom line. The gates of Eden are open. They're open. All are welcome in this movement. All can experience God's blessing now because God's restoring presence is here. So let's be prepared for a little bit of awe. Let's pray. Father, even as I, as I say these things, I know that we're probably all over the map in how we feel about it. I, I mean, some of us are probably confused, some are skeptical, some are, are uh, hopeful. I know we're all over the map. And yet, Father, I know that your dream, your desire for this church is that we would be a beacon of your Spirit's love and power and healing presence. And so, Father, I ask that you would awaken in us as Grace Church, that you would awaken in us your desires for us, that your Holy Spirit would breathe through us in a fresh way, and that we would become a community that is open and humble and ready to be used by you to heal this broken world. If there's anybody here who has yet to experience your Spirit's presence, I pray, Father, that you would speak to them now, that you would grip their hearts, and that you would show them the path to walk so that they can be your instruments of healing. In Jesus' name. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.